Okay, over to John chapter 1. By the way, how, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 2 is where we're at. How many books did John, how many books in the New Testament did John write? What's, what is it? Five, five, good, I was wondering, so we have that cleared up now. Well, John has been writing to us uh, extensively about starting there in chapter 1 about the, about the light of God picking up there in verse 5 of chapter 1 and speaking that this is the message that we've heard and that we declare that God is light. There's no darkness at all. We have spent a lot of time over the past three sessions just talking about sin in our lives and just the separation that that causes us from God. It never deteriorates our sonship, our, our um, relationship to him as a son. I wasn't doing the pirate routine there. It does not influence our relationship as a son, but it does influence fellowship. And if you think about uh, a family type of a situation, how a son or, or a child, or maybe it's a cousin or something, you know, the one that's always kind of estranged from the family, the one that's off in the side or something and nobody talks about, or, you know, there's been a fight in the past and kind of off a little bit. Um, another illustration was a child can go outside and he can become incredibly filthy or she can become incredibly filthy. Um, she's... Uh, she's always accepted back into the house, or he's always accepted back into the house, um, but there's a condition, there's a, a little bit of a separation there, maybe a little frustration of the parents with the children, not that God has frustration with us, but God is always accepting of us as his children, but sin definitely um, creates a barrier or positions a barrier between us being able to hear effectively from God. It is never that God stops speaking to us. As you go through the Old Testament and you see the, the nation of Israel, God was always sending prophets to them. There was always somebody that was there that was speaking the truth to the people, but the people had hardened their ears, hardened their hearts towards the word of God, towards what God was speaking through those people. God is constantly speaking, and as I think we've come across this over the last few months, um, a, a lot of times when we're not hearing from God... It's not due to the fact that God is no longer speaking to us. It's that we're not in the position to be able to hear effectively or to hear um, from him what he's trying to speak to us. And it's at that point when we know we just need to step back. And as we saw on Sunday, whenever there's a silence, when we feel estranged from God, when we feel like uh, we're powerless, when our prayers are just hitting the ceilings and bouncing back down, that we go back and we look at those three areas that we studied on Sunday, the three areas where Satan will attack us. And the first one was lust of the, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And those are the three areas where, and that's the only three areas where we're going to find sin. It's going to be involved in one of those three areas, if not in multiple areas. So John has encouraged us to know Satan's game plan, and that was verses 15, 16, and 17. He's saying, hey, be aware of your enemy's tactics, because if you know how your enemy's going to attack, you know how to what? You know how to guard yourself. So those are the three areas, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life, and you guys can find that on audio or video online there. 
So he picks up here in verse 18, and um, as we have studied once again over the past few months, we've been talking a lot about false teachers um, within, within the world and, and what they're teaching and how they teach and why they do it. There's a selfishness that they have. It's for their own personal gain. And one of, the, one of the things about the Word of God is you can take the Word of God and you can make it say anything that you want it to say. You can change one little word, one inflection, one concept, one theme that's being written about in a chapter. And you can, if you bypass that, you can make the Word of God say whatever you want it to say. Which is important whenever we pick up the Word of God and we're reading the Word of God. If you're going to just, you know... It's a dangerous thing to just pick up the Bible and read a verse or two, at least go and hit the whole chapter that the verse is written in, so you're getting the context of what's going on there. But he says this, and we're going to be talking about antichrists, and it just means opposed to Christ. It's, it's those who are in opposition to what Christ, what that means. And he says in verse 18, dear children, a, a very loving and affectionate term, he says, this is the last hour And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now what we must understand as we go through Scripture that John's the only one that actually uses this term Antichrist. Um, We're going to see it, uh, that concept, or maybe in some translations, over in Revelation chapters 13, 16, and 19, John uses this phrase um, of the one who's going to be this Antichrist and... Uh, Let me look up something else here real quick. Pause for station identification. This is ODF Fellowship, Springfield, Missouri. In in Daniel chapter 9... This, uh, we see a picture, not only in Daniel chapter 9, but those three passages in Revelation 13, 16, and 19. Uh, it's speaking about the same person. And the Antichrist that we see in Scripture, or the concept, there's actually three ways that we see this concept of Antichrist. The first one, it's going to be a definite person who rises up in this world. And it's what we see um, in da- at the, the last half of uh, Daniel chapter 9. We're going to see um, somebody who comes in and they're going to give a decree to restore and rebuild uh, Jerusalem and, um, or, uh, or rebuild the, the temple there in, uh, in Jerusalem. And after that, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a three and a half year period where things are fairly good for the Israelites. There's going to seem to be peace in the world and so forth. And that's whenever this particular person who's become a world leader at this time He's the only one who's been able to bring peace into the Middle East. Uh, He's going to essentially set himself up as God and tell on a wing of the temple, and he's going to tell the Jewish people to worship him as God, that he is God. Now, one of the things that I do not believe personally that we will be here, I believe that the church will be raptured out at this time, but we do understand that this man, this man is going to, uh, that the world is going to be under a great delusion and the world is going to start worshiping this man as the Christ. They're going to think that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they've been looking for. Um, I actually Googled today, uh, Joseph Stalin had this concept that, that he wanted to kind of be this Christ type figure. And so I went online and I was looking for a particular quote, was unable to have it. But as I, as I look that up, 
Um, there was another name that came up with a Christ figure as I was searching online, and it was uh, it kept coming up is Justin Bieber, the new Christ. And, uh, and I thought, wow, is that what we think the Christ is going to be? But uh, I thought, boy, we have set the bar really low for our Savior. And so I, I didn't read the articles and know exactly what it was saying, but it was just kind of uh, humorously sad to me. So we know that there's going to be a character that rises up and the world is just going to be in love with this guy. And he's, he's actually what we see as the Antichrist. And his name's not going to be Antichrist. He's not going to say, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm, you know, could just call me Anti or anything like that. Um, he's, but that's what he's going to be. And Antichrist just means what? It just means he's, he's against what, what Christ means. The second concept that we see um, with Antichrist is really there's a spirit of Antichrist in the world, and that means that there's this opposition um, in, in effect towards the, things, um, towards the things of Christ. And we have seen that take place when you go throughout history and you look at men such as Stalin and um, Hitler. And I think Hitler has been linked with about the, the death of about six million, give or take a million um, Jews and, and so forth. Uh, Stalin, I think, is up in the 18 million uh, range of Russian people that he was uh, starving to death and putting to death. It's interesting that he's kind of slipped away. You know, we think that Hitler was the the, the man of great atrocities, but Stalin was right up there. And, and the only way to really the only way to really explain it, because what was going on during the time of Stalin and even during the time of Hitler, is that. Um, to some extent, as Stalin was putting his own people to death, um, his country was still revering him and lifting him up kind of to a godlike status. And it's really hard to explain, you know, how in the world could somebody, while putting his own people to, to death, you know, they're, they're shooting lights onto crowds, you know, like the Batman logo, you know, onto the cloud. They were doing pictures of him onto the cloud deck. You know, when they would have the clouds come in and they were revering him as this great leader while he was putting millions and millions of people uh, to death. And the only way you can really explain that is the spirit of Antichrist um, moving and taking over that person and just um, and really even deceiving the people that were all around him um, into thinking that he was doing something great. The third area that we see the concept of Antichrist pop up will be uh, within false teachers. Um, men who are going their own direction, who maybe have become frustrated with, uh, with the Word of God and what it's saying. Uh, they want to kind of go their own way. Um, and, uh, and they will begin to teach maybe concepts out of the Bible, but they are removing Christ. Um, they're actually in opposition um, to what Christ is saying. And one of the things that, that I wanted to mention, and it's, it, it really saddens my heart, and I think for the people that were there, I think two or three of us, four of us in this room, um, attended a funeral last week. And it, um, it was sad because we knew the character of the man who was going to be uh, officiating the service, and, and I truly believe that he is a false teacher by the biblical definition of a false teacher. Um, he has led uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, I believe, um, on their path to hell. He has strengthened that path um, that they are on, and they feel good about where they're at, all under the banner of a church and a pastor and everything else. He believes he's a great theologian. 
And um, we knew that he was false, and, and we were kind of expecting what we would get. But I think the people that were there, we were just even more so shocked to hear the stuff that was coming out of his mouth. And don't worry, I'm not going to cry. Um, it's a sad thing because what I, what I noted most about that well, were two things. He kept saying this phrase, um, if God, if God, you know, if God is control of all, if God is in control of all of this, then blah, 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 blah. And I think he used that phrase probably uh, three times, I believe, that I recollect. And then one other thing that I noted after he um, talked about himself quite a bit and uh, gave his resume of everything that he's been involved with, you know, in his career and, and so forth. It was um, kind of interesting. You saw the pride kind of start popping out. And the one thing that he never mentioned, or well, the two things, was anything that deals about with sin or Christ. He did acknowledge God, but he did not acknowledge Christ. There was a separation between Christ and God and his, and his theology and his understanding of how things operate. And he, of course, you know, when you go to a funeral, you know, you have to be careful, you know, how you're going to address the situation. But not even the fact of, you know, um, what's, what's the word you use? Not, not ultimate sin, original sin, when Bill and I were talking about it. Uh, you know, when he was talking about the death and the difficulty that they were going through in their lives as she and her husband were aging and so forth and just the process of dying and so forth, um, you know, it's such a great opportunity to just talk about that that's the reality that we're all going to face. And, um, you know, for me, it'd be a great opportunity to speak about what we have in Christ Jesus or what we're offered. But, um, but I noticed that, that Jesus was not even, didn't even come close to mentioning anything. Um, about Jesus. So you'll find that in a false teacher. Um, uh, you will also f- find um, on the opposite end of that scale that they'll go full bore about Jesus. You know, everything's about Jesus. If you talk to a Mormon, they'll talk more about Jesus than you do. Um, but they think differently about how you, how you think about Jesus. So um, it's kind of two extremes. Either they're completely rejected or they go full bore um, and, uh, and give you their own understanding, which unfortunately is false and condemning men to hell. So we know there's this concept of Antichrist. We'll see it in false teachers. We're going to see it. We've seen it in historical settings with men and, and leadership and so forth. And, and just that idea of destruction, there's been a lot of uh, Satan has really used some men to attack, particularly the Jewish people, uh, anti-Semitism and so forth. And then also um, we see it with the person who one day will come and is going to uh, really he's going to rule this world. And people are going to love him, love him, love him, love him. And Jesus is the one who he says himself, and when the abomination that causes desolation comes, you don't go back to your house. Meaning this, whenever that Antichrist goes into the temple and he has built his own statue of himself and he says, worship me as God, at that particular point, understand, before that, the Jews believe that he's going to be their Messiah. Because the Jews today believe whoever helps them rebuild their temple, they believe their Messiah is going to help them rebuild their temple and begin to do sacrificial, do sacrifice, uh, sacrificial worship again. And so they're going to believe that this is the one who has come to save them. 
And then he, three and a half years into seven-year tribulation, he's going to say, worship me as your God. I am God. And Jesus says that when the abomination that causes desolation happens, you don't go home. You run for the hills. You run right out of the city. And scripture tells us about the mass slaughter that there's going to be, I believe, a third or two-thirds. What's the number? You got it? It's either one-third or two-thirds of the Jews aren't even going to make it out of Jerusalem before they're slain down. Blood is going to be flowing in the streets in the matter of minutes and hours. And that's going to be the Antichrist to come. So we know that this we know we know that this evil is in the world, do we not? And John is saying, hey, don't forget that this evil is in the world, because this evil it has an attack against the church. Satan Satan has to attack the church, right? To make her um, ineffective. He doesn't have to attack the world, does he? The world's already his pawns. So he has to attack the church, and there's a battle against the church. And so John is just telling us this, the last hours here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really what? Belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now John is talking about that people that were close to them within the body of believers, attending church and so forth, right? The church has been going about 60 years at this point, and they've been involved in church. They're now going out and they're teaching heretical things. They're teaching false things. They're um, maybe leaning a little bit more in that concept of Gnosticism, where they've been given some special understanding, some special wisdom from God that only they have. And so now they're going out and, um, and they're going to start doing their own thing, teaching the word of God the way that they think that it needs to be taught. And John simply says this in verse 19. He's saying they went out from us, but they never really what? Belonged to us. Are these people saved? No, they're not. And that's the point that he's trying to make. A person who goes out and starts to teach their own things, which ends up being contrary to actual the word, of, the word of God, the will of God, and the nature of Christ Jesus, he's saying these guys are not true believers. And we still in our church age today, we would still fight and say, but they made a what? But they made a decision. They prayed the prayer. They have their baptism certificate. They have all these things. We have the pictures of them. They got wet they're saved we know it because they said it and john is saying a person doesn't matter what in the word you what in the world you may say doesn't matter what in the world you proclaim he's saying these people are going out and they have taken a stand against christ jesus against the word of god what you have to understand is these guys are going to be using the scriptures to make the points that they want to make remember when we talk about I believe it is in Acts chapter 20, Paul's farewell to the Ephesians, and he says, ferocious wolves will come up from within your midst, right? And what do wolves do in the midst of sheep? Yeah, they kill them, they destroy them, they, they take them and they, they carry them off, and that's exactly what these guys are going to do. And so he says, so this is the first thing that you'll find about um, somebody who is this false teacher or has the spirit of Antichrist, that they're going to depart from the fellowship. Now, before your mind starts spinning too much, this is not talking about somebody who leaves one fellowship to go to another fellowship or relocate somewhere. This is talking about somebody who is taking on the position of a teacher 
who says everybody else is wrong, but I'm going to go establish my own truth. There's no, there's no authority. There's no um, uh, shepherding or anything like that, but they're going to go do their own thing, and that's how they want it. And then they're going to do a couple other things here. But the first one is, is that they're going to say that the fellowship, um, that the purpose of fellowship is stupid, the word of God, all of that, unity, love, so forth, doesn't need to be there. We're going to establish our own way that we want to do it. And in verse 20, he says, but you, but you have an anointing. And I love the word anointing. I, I looked it up and in the Greek, um, it, uh, the first word that's used there is smearing. <laughs> and I love that concert, uh, concert concept. And, and I thought about, um, I thought about it and, and I didn't have a bucket of lard at my house, but I thought how cool it would be if I had a bucket of lard and we could do a, an application of this and like I could just smear the lard all over Jason, kind of rub it into his hair real well and into his beard and we could say you've been anointed with, with, with the fat of a hog. <laughs> I don't know the spiritual application of that, but I would do it with you too. Probably have a good shave the next day. But he says that you have an anointing. And remember in Scripture, these are those great butts of the Bible that Angela likes. This is what's going on in these guys' lives. But you have what? It is a fact of what John is saying. He's not just saying, yeah, you got an anointing. He's saying, this is one of the great things that you rest your life upon, is that you have the anointing of God upon your life. If you remember in the Old Testament, there were three types of people that were anointed. The first were priests, kings, and prophets. Prophet, priests, and kings. They were all anointed. Do you remember Samuel came to David and he anointed, he anointed him. And then David goes on in the Psalms and say, you know, anoint my head with what? Anoint my head with oil. And he's recognizing the anointing of God upon his life and, and his need for God to continually be working and pouring out upon his life. Um, a few scriptures in regards to this. Um, Ephesians 1. Actually, if you guys want to turn to... Uh, yeah, let's look at Ephesians 1 real quick. You guys are familiar with this passage. If you just go backwards about four or five books, probably the easiest way to get there. And so John is starting this out as you guys are making way to Ephesians 1, and then we're going to go over to, uh, to Acts, and then I'll read a, a passage in Titus. But what John is now establishing for us is a person who has been anointed with the Spirit of God is not going to go the way that these men have gone. These men are going their own way because they never had the Spirit of God. So now they take what they think they understand about the Word of God, they process it by human terms, and now they're spitting out their own religion. Does that make sense? Their own, that can only happen. A person only goes out and teaches things contrary to the word of God if they've never had the spirit of God. And that's what John is now trying to tell us. But hey, you have great hope in the fact that you have been what? You've been anointed. You've been smeared with. You have been placed upon uh, by God, the Holy Spirit. And in verse 13 of chapter 1 of Ephesians... It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your, what? Salvation. Then you will know the truth, Jesus says, and the truth, what? 
sets you free. It sets you free from the bondage to the flesh, from the bondage to the eyes, from the bondage to the pride of life, so that you can hear the truth and your flesh needs to be put aside so that you hear the truth. And then he says, having believed, you were what? You were marked or you were, what's the A word we're talking about? You were anointed in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And that's what Paul's talking about here to the Ephesians. He's saying, hey, guys, remember, first and foremost, you guys have the spirit of God as your that is now your seal. You are now God's for all eternity. Nobody's taking you from him. You can't lose your seal. You can't rub your seal off if you've got the Holy Spirit. God has placed the Holy Spirit on you. And what we have to understand is the Holy Spirit is not something that we get because of what we do, but it's something that God gives us because what he has done. At the point when we start thinking that we have this and that because of decisions we've made in our lives, we've missed the point of the cross. We've missed the sacrifice. We've missed the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. We have what we have only because of what Christ Jesus and what God has done on our behalf. So now he says, you have this spirit. Look over in Acts chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Now, Acts chapter 2 is talking about the boys come out of the upper room. Um, they're out there, and uh, it's a day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter and the boys step out there, and they start speaking in all of these other known languages um, to all of the other men that are out there. And as each one is speaking, as the, uh, as the disciples are speaking, the men in the crowd are like, Hey, he's speaking my language. How can this be? Are these guys drunk? And Peter's like, Hey, it's only 9 in the morning. We're not drunk yet. That doesn't happen till." I don't know what time. That's pretty bad defense he had, wasn't it? No, that doesn't come till in the afternoon. That's after two. But look at, uh, sorry, over in Acts um, 2.33. It's speaking, uh, or look at verse 32, speaking about, this is uh, Peter as he's speaking to the people and he's uh, telling them about Christ Jesus. And he says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the what? The promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. So what Peter is saying is that what you are seeing and hearing out of us human beings is actually the result of what? It's the Holy Spirit that's doing this in and through us. I have 1045 marked in my Bible here. Let me see what that is real quick. And this is Peter at Cornelius' house, verse 44, Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words. And guys, this is what's so cool. Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he's going to share with them the love of God through Christ Jesus. And he doesn't even get to the invitation before the people respond to it. It should give us some great security that when we put our heart in direction, prepare your what? Your minds for action. When our minds get made up, remember I said that God won't, God's, God won't change our, our minds. But when we change our minds, God can change our what? 
our hearts. And Peter goes to this guy's heart, to this guy's house, and he's speaking to the people, sharing with them the love of the love of God for them, manifested through Christ Jesus. He doesn't even get to the invitation. And in verse 45, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been, what's that word again? Poured out, even on the Gentiles, even those Gentiles. Who are Gentiles? We are the Gentiles. (laughs) Yeah, in Scripture, they're referred to as dogs. One last thing that I want to read you here, and you don't have to turn there unless you want to. It's going to be over in Titus. Um, Titus 3.5 simply says this. 3.4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And then you could go over to um, John chapter, uh, read through John fourteen fifteen and 16. Um, and Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit that when he goes to the Father, uh, he's going to ask the Father to put the Holy Spirit upon us. Um, so John is just simply making this point to us that sometimes we, we take on this, this position or this posture that you know, we're absolutely weak, that we have no power, we, we, can't, um, you know, we can't discern what is good and bad and right and wrong or the word of God or anything. And what John would tell us is this, all of those things um, is, are just thoughts and concepts of your flesh because you have the what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus would say uh, back there in John um, 14 and 16, um, John 16, he speaks about the Spirit as the Spirit of, what, capital T, truth. So if you have the Spirit of truth in you, we can most definitely understand God's truth that's written down for us because the Spirit's going to be our teacher. We'll get into that later on in the study. That'll be hour two. Back over to John chapter two. So we understand, verse 20 says, but we have a what? An anointing. What's your translation say, Willie? Oh, unction. That's a great word. But you have an anointing. It means you have been set apart. When David was anointed by Samuel, he was set apart. He didn't immediately become king, did he? It was going to be years down the road. God had a lot to teach him, didn't he, before he could allow him to sit on the throne. And he went through a lot of difficulties in the same way that we are. But we've been set apart, what John is saying. You've been set apart from the Holy One. You have an anointing. Sorry, you have an anointing. Scratch that. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the what? The truth. Wow. What John is telling us is simply this. We each have a base understanding now of who God is and God is truth, the spirit of truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So now what John is telling us is we all have a base understanding of what truth is in our lives now. If we have been anointed 
or the unction of the Holy Spirit. If we have been smeared with the Holy Spirit, he says you have the truth. Have you ever been... Now, women have this radar a little bit better than men. Um, women have the scary creeper dude radar, right? You guys, you guys have that. You're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, you're just kind of... I'm like, Angela, what are you doing? She goes, creeper. Um, you know, and, and women... Um, probably just because of size and so forth, men aren't as intimidated by other men. But, but women, they have, God has given, I mean, it's a God-given thing. We can say that, right? That you can see, some, or sometimes you just feel it. You guys have felt it, right? When you couldn't see somebody, but you felt it. I mean, this is something that God has given us. This isn't just, you know, ooh, you know, kind of mysticism stuff. This is, this is stuff that God has given uh, women and given us, you know, the ability to sense evil whenever it's around us. And in the same way, Christians should be able, and I don't encourage you to go out and, you know, put your skills to the test, but have you ever been listening to somebody a pastor on television, uh, most of them that, that I know of are on television because the guys I listen to, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty secure in, in where they sit or where they stand. But you ever been listening to somebody, something, and you're like, this just doesn't, you can't even identify that there's something wrong, but you can, you have that feeling that something's not right about this. You guys ever had that before and you're listening to somebody? Well, that's the spirit. That's the spirit of truth telling you, "Hey, this is not truth. This is this is not the direction we're going to go." And uh, you may not even be able to identify something, but you just have this uneasiness about it. Um, and that's a good time, you know. Uh, even Janet was. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to say anything or look anything up. Um, she said um, uh, we were talking as she was cutting my my hair. It used to be hairs, but um, now she's it's it's getting. Anyways, and she had asked me, you know, she goes, you ever heard of this David Platt guy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we like David Platt. This just a couple weeks ago. And uh, she was actually reading this book, Follow Me. Um, And, uh, huh? Well, you were in a a chapter of it or something. And so she had just started asking. And that's a good thing to do. Hey, you ever heard of this person before? You know, do you know anything? And I'm like, yeah, we really, you know, we really appreciate what God's doing and, and respect what God's doing through his life and, and, uh, and who he is. And there's nothing wrong with asking somebody else. Have you ever heard of this person? Have you ever read this? And so you have to be very careful. And I'll just say this and move on. When you go to a Christian bookstore, you see all of these books on the shelves. There's big money in books, guys. There's big money in books. And believe it or not, there are people out there who are gifted writers who are not being led by the Holy Spirit. And they write a lot of Christian books under the banner of a Christian book. But it's not led by the Holy Spirit. There can be scripture in it. There can be heartfelt stories about God in it. But they may not be under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Just be very careful of picking up books because I'm attracted to books by their covers. I'll just throw it out there. I'm very simple-minded that way. If it has an ugly cover, I have a hard time reading it. I take the jacket off a book, and it's, it's dead to me because I, I can't stand it anymore. But I want you to know, we should, in our spiritual lives, as we progress from babes in Christ into our process of maturity, 
that which is not right should become more and more clear to us because we are learning about that which is truth. That is why, and Jeremy's going to hit it hard on Sunday, we have to know the word of truth so we can discern what is evil. You can never tell what evil is unless you know the truth. But we have to understand, people who are still young in their faith, young in their spiritual growth, those are the ones that get carried off by false teachers and by cults. Somebody said something interesting in my study as I was studying today. They said what's interesting is most cults go after churched people. Their target is not unchurched people. They go after churched people that are looking for some, something spiritual in their lives. Isn't that interesting? And as I said before, there's a particular denomination. I think it was the Southern Baptist denomination that was the number one converts into Mormonism back eight years ago, this stat was. Churched people, going after churched people because they know, they know they've heard enough about God, but they don't know the truth to realize what, what the Mormons are telling them, and they're swept right away. So he says, you have the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And he's saying this, you guys aren't ignorant of this. You guys know what is truth. You know what is error. You know what is sinful. And he says, because no lie comes from the truth. Now, who is the liar? Yeah. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's that Satan is, is totally opposed to Christ. It's the man who denies that Jesus is the what? Denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. Now, the second thing that a, that a person, a false teacher, or this person under the influence of uh, kind of the spirit of the Antichrist, the first one is they're going to depart themselves from true believers they themselves are not true believers. And then they're going, and then their concept, their teaching is that Jesus isn't the Christ. Now, when you get into Mormonism, when you get into um, Jehovah's Witness, they will all speak great things about Jesus. And they will tell you, oh, we believe in Jesus just like you do. And like I said before, they'll probably even talk about more about Jesus than what you do in your daily conversations. But they do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. They do not believe that he is who? God. It's kind of like this. What many of those religions believe would be a concept similar to this. If somebody walked into the room and threw a grenade down here in the middle of the floor. And we went and grabbed one of our kids, you know, and everybody's freaking out because there's a live grenade. And, you know, I run back and grab, you know, one of our kids and throw it on top of it. And it explodes and that child saves all of our lives. That's their concept. That God created somebody, you know, to take the fall. And that's what they believe. Gnosticism says that. When Jesus goes to the cross, the spirit of Christ departed from him and that fleshly man that was left on the cross took the penalty of all of men's sin. That Jesus, that the Christ did not take the penalty of sin. But this is what God does instead. person walks into the room, throws a grenade on the floor and God himself jumps on top of it. God did not create somebody else to take the penalty for sin. Remember what... Um, what Abraham said to Isaac, Hey, Dad, 
we have the wood and the fire, but where's, where's, where's the sacrifice? And what's he say? God will provide himself a sacrifice. God is the one. Jesus is God. All those times in John when he is saying, I am, he's saying what? That he's God. And so these guys are going in. The next thing that they'll deny there in verse 2, the second thing is that they'll deny that Jesus is the Christ and such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. Now he's not saying, now John's not saying that these guys... Uh, are saying God's not real and Jesus isn't real, but what they teach is this. God and Jesus are not the same. That Jesus is just a creation of God, along with Lucifer. Some people believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers, and God had said, hey, why don't you guys come up with some plans of how we can save mankind, and Lucifer lost. Uh, God chose Jesus' plan over Lucifer's plan, and that made Lucifer really mad, and he started, and that's, you know, that's a very prominent religion in, in the United States today. And they believe that Jesus and Lucifer were just brothers, created beings, um, that Jesus is not um, eternal. And that's why John says, you know, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes and we look at, you know, this is what we proclaim to you. In the beginning was the what? Was the word and the word was with God um, in the beginning. And so, um, huh? And he was God. And he says that this, no one who deserves, verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father and whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. Now see that what you have heard from the beginning, what? Remains in you. What's your other translation say? It'll be abides. I got it. I got it. I already know. I've looked it up. <laughs> see that what you have heard from the beginning remains or abides in you. Do you remember when we went back to John chapter 15, last, last teaching? And we saw all those areas where Jesus was using that same word. Isn't it interesting that the very word that Jesus uses so repetitively, who's going to use it? <laughs> well, no. John is going to use it in, in his teaching. And now he's talking about that what's important for us in this world where there's going to be, we have God of light, but we also have Satan who is evil. We have light and we have darkness. He has then told us through the rest of chapter one about the necessity of love in our lives. And now he has been talking to us about the promised Holy Spirit that we have. And he's going to close out these last few verses. And he's going to use the word one, two, three, four, five, um, five times in my translation. That means abide. And, he, and that word abide just simply means to stay. Stay, stay, become enthralled, deep roots, as uh, I know Alicia likes that verse, deep roots producing what? Fruit above. And when we have deep roots in the word of God and who God is, it produces fruit in our lives. And go back and read John chapter 15. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you are what? The branches. What's the next word? abide in me and I'll abide in you. Be connected to who I am. It's your lifeblood. It's your source. Apart from me, Jesus says what? You can't do anything. You're absolutely powerless. And so this is what I love about how we learn to, to emulate Christ. We look at John and all he's doing is telling us what essentially Jesus told him. And that's what he's came. Hey, we've come to proclaim to you the things that he told us. And so he just simply says this, see that what you have heard from the beginning, what? 
remains in you. In order for us to retain what we're learning, what we will learn, and what we have learned, there has to be a continuous flow back over it. It's like the the windmill or the waterfall that never stops. You have to continually be immersed in it. You can't just get out of the Word and say, well, I hope I hang on to all that truth and so forth. It's a continual working because the way that the Word of God works is God gives you a base understanding of something. He develops a concept of what He wants you to know about Him. And then as you study through His Word some more, He gives you things that support that concept and build strength there, something that you can put what into? Faith, right? Because faith is a muscle. It's got to be worked out. And God is trying to teach us about himself. And then he gives us the practical applications of how that has worked in the past and the promise of if it's worked in the past, it'll work either today or in the future that we can trust him as our God. And that builds our faith in him and our trust in him. So John is saying, stick Stick close to what you have already learned about him. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father, and this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Now, I'm writing these things to you um, about those who are trying to lead you astray. And this is the third thing that these false teachers or the spirit of Antichrist is going to do in these men. It's going to try to lead True believers away from the truth. And the only way a believer can be led away from the truth is if they don't have, is if the word of God is not continually being poured into their lives, not just being poured in, but it also has to have a what in our lives? A working out or an outlet in our lives. We just can't have the inflow without an outflow because what kind of a seed does that create? The dead seed. Why is the Dead Sea dead in the Middle East? Because water flows in, but it never makes it out. So the salt contents something crazy high in there and, and nothing lives in there. And so he's simply saying this. I'm writing this because there's people who are going to try to lead you astray. And guys, I can tell you that I believe that most people who sit in pews or chairs at church during the week... Um, could not distinguish the difference between a Mormon and a true follower um, of Jesus Christ. Because there has to be, there has to be the decision in our lives to follow Jesus. And wherever Jesus goes, and think about this, I believe that when Jesus was walking with his, his disciples, he was constantly teaching them. He was speaking to them. There'd be some correction, some rebuking, but there'd be some encouragement, some admonition and all of that. But there's always that constant need of the word that comes into our lives because this is how it works. I can't tell you that. Well, I I can tell you. We were studying through a specific passage of scripture um, a few weeks ago and a guy called me up. Um, and there's an open door ministries in Springfield that helps people like with housing costs and all of that. And from time to time, I'll get phone calls and, um, and, uh, you know, kind of assess the situation. And this guy, you know, he was talking to me. I'm like, you know what? It's Tuesday. If you want to come to Bible study, you know, afterwards, you know, I, I think we can go ahead. I talked to him for about 20 minutes and I said, you know, if you can make it and this and that. 
Um, and then something happened where the bus wasn't going to be able to do whatever. He wasn't going to be able to get here till 745, which would be right in the middle of the Bible study. And obviously we couldn't stop. And, and I really wanted them to at least hear the word, you know, before we, you know, before, you know, the, the church uh, had helped them financially in any way. And so I just told him it was a really bad night for me at dinner. And, and I just told him right before I went to dinner, I said, you know what, let's, let's just pass on the whole deal. Just, you know, just let's just clean slate this. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, you can just, you know, you can just find, you know, some other means or something. And he sent me back um, a text and said, I understand, you know, maybe second thoughts, blah, 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 blah. And then he actually texted me back the very scripture that I had taught that Sunday morning. And I thought, hmm. So then I drove over there the next morning because they were on a deadline. And, uh, and uh, we helped them out. Open Door Fellowship helped them out um, with some of their financial needs. But we have to be sensitive. And it's the reason why we need the word of God constantly coming into our lives. Because God is going to use what he teaches you today. He's going to use that tomorrow in your life, or at least from this second forward, he's going to find a place to tie that together. Because the reason why he wants to tie it together is so that you have a, what kind of moment? Aha! God spoke last night, and then he confirmed his word this morning. Does that make sense? How many of you guys ever had one of those? Yeah. I told you I can't tell you how many times I drive home on a Tuesday night and I turn on a bot radio or 1079891, whatever that is, 90.1. Both of those are two individual stations. And I'll hear something, I'll hear a point that I was trying to make tonight unsuccessfully and I'll hear somebody else make the point successfully on the way home. And it's God, I tell you what, I often learn my richest time of learning is after I teach a Bible study. If I close my ears, I'm a foolish man. Because it's often whenever um, God may say, you know what, you went in your flesh right there, Steve. And I can identify it. And I'm like, yeah, I under- okay, I was teaching that. When I taught that, you know, I started, I started wandering. And I started getting into my own agenda. And God teaches me so much or confirms so much after I'm done teaching, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. Um, he always does it. It's just an amazing thing. And it builds, your, it, it builds your understanding of who he is. Now, I told you this was a short Bible study, so we're almost there. As for you, he says, verse 27, the anointing you receive from him, it remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, Remain in him. Now, this is what he's saying. Verse 27, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, what he's saying is this. Once again, that we have all been given a base understanding of, the tr- of what truth is. Remember, Pilate said to Jesus, asked Jesus, what is truth? And, you know, Jesus is like, if you can't see it standing in front of you, you're never going to get it. And so what John is saying is you and I have been given the basic understanding of truth. Now, he's not saying that we never need to go to Bible study because Ephesians tells us that God has given what to the churches? Teachers Teachers to the church. Um, Feed the flock, 
right? That's what Jesus tells Peter, feed the flock. And we see that elsewhere in scripture, to feed the flock, teach them the word of God. And what John is saying here is when you receive the word of God, you have a base understanding if it's truth or not truth. If you go over to Acts chapter 17, there was a particular group of people that were more noble than the Thessalonians because after Paul taught them, they went and searched out the scriptures to see if what he said was true. And those people were called? Because they were Bereans. That's right. Because they were from? Very good. And so he's just saying, you have this. Now this counteracts your attention, please. This counteracts the concept that I can't read or understand what the Bible is saying. Maybe in our flesh, as I talked about on Sunday, Satan wants to tell us that. But what John here is telling us is this. If you put your heart in the direction of wanting to know God's word, you will know God's word. You can't not know God's word if it's your desire to know the Lord and his word because you have the Holy Spirit on your side. Yeah, you on your own, pretty dumb. We're all pretty dumb. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the manifold wisdom of God dwelling in us, empowering us. And Jesus says this, um, It's John 16. John 16, 13. Okay. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come and he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 1426, Jesus would say this about the Holy Spirit. He said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Who's going to be your teacher? Now, the Holy Spirit is not an essence. It's not something from Scooby-Doo, a shadow in the corners. But it is a person, is the person of the Holy Spirit, right? God revealed in three forms. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. We're told not to grieve, not to quench the Holy Spirit. You can only grieve or quench a person, right? You can't grieve or quench, you know, an, an essence or something. And so it's the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that if you desire to know the word of God, if you become a follower of me and you want to know me in the most intimate way that can ever be experienced here in this world, my Holy Spirit, the one that my father will give me to give to you, he will what? He will teach you. You see, guys, what you have to understand is it's not for me to teach you guys. It's for me to, I believe that my primary responsibility is to expose to you what the word of God says. It's then your responsibility to go home and make sure that what I'm exposing you guys to is truth and that what I'm leading you to is truth. And the the way in which you'll know it's truth is by listening to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. We listen to the Spirit of God to teach us, not a man. Okay, got it? Let's finish this up. 
Now, dear children, continue. Once again, by the way, in verse uh, 27, there's the word remains or abide. Um, At the end of verse 27 is the phrase remain in him. That's another word for abide in him. Um, Verse 28, now, dear children, abide in him. Once again, we have that as the word continue in the NIV. Continue in him. It means that there has been the start, the walk, the running, and he's telling us what? Continue on. If you're running a race and you're, you know, you're running whatever it is, and you have people that are cheering you on, and why are they cheering you on? Because they, you paid them to be there, but secondly, because they're, they're cheering you on to continue and to finish the race, right? Paul tells us, don't just enter the race. We're not there to just sign up and get the sticker, as I know some people are. Um, you know, hey, look at me, I've got all this, and they steal the 26.2 sticker and put it on the back of their vehicle, or they order them online. But he's saying this, continue in him. Listen, guys, continue in so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You know, there's going to be a judgment with what we have done in regards to the Holy Spirit that has been given us in this world. That's going to be where Jesus judges the the works of the saints, were they works empowered and by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God? Or were the works that we were doing in this world as believers just simply for our flesh? Simply for our own self-gratitude? Was it just our selfishness? And he's saying, I love this phrase, continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed. And you might be sitting here tonight saying, gosh, if Jesus turned, Jesus came down tonight, I don't know if I would be confident in the life that I've been living. Matter of fact, there's a lot of shameful areas in my life that I'm pretty embarrassed about. I have a lot of excuses about why, you know, I just couldn't do certain things. And John is telling us this, abide in him so that when he comes back, you're not embarrassed or ashamed of the life that you wasted. But you can say, hey, I did. I took your word, applied it to my life to be obedient to you. Not all of it is, was done you know, through the Spirit. But the desire is that we hear, well done, right? Good and faithful servant. That we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... And that word righteous just means he's right with God. He's holy. When, when, God, when, when, when he is lifted beside God, he is God. He is holy. He is pure. He is right. He is everything that is good and glorious. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right, what is holy, what is pure, has been born of him. And John is saying, man, seek to have that life that in all ways that it's right, with God. Doesn't matter if you're right with your church. Doesn't matter if you're right with your denominational understanding or whatever affiliation you you want to cling to. It doesn't matter if you're right with this or that or doesn't matter if you feel you're right with what you think the Bible says. What matters is if a man is right with God. I think that this book here, once again, Follow Me, is is going to be pretty pivotal. Just give me a couple minutes here to finish up. Or you guys can just leave if you want, but we've never had that happen. 
Because what's interesting is I start reading that book and then the scripture verse that um, Christine and Carrie have. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Follow me. And then what's the next phrase? At once they got up and they followed him. Or immediately they got up and followed him. And guys, as we've been learning, the men have been learning on Sunday morning, the cost of discipleship is the name of the book by Bonhoeffer. And what Jesus calls us to, and what Platt's point is within the second page of this book or the first page of this book, is that people in other countries know that when they accept Jesus, it's a death sentence in many places that has now been put upon their lives. They actually are dying to themselves, their families, because if their families see them, They'll just cut their throats. He was talking about a girl in here on page one or page two. And he said that she knows that if she departs from her faith, her religion, that when her parents see her, they will slit her throats in the street. And they, they will be glad to be able to do that. Even though that she's their daughter. And it cost her her life to accept Jesus. That is always the call to Christ it is a call to death to self and life in relationship and obedience and following him who's the one who leads us into the will of God. It is not try to be good Christian people in this world and be good to your community, but it is a death to self. And that has always been, that it's the biblical definition of following him. It's death to yourself, your wants, what you think that you need. And that's why scripture says, and our God will provide all of our needs, not necessarily our wants, but God provides because he's Jehovah Jireh. I want you guys to consider what we talked about on Sunday, wrap it together with this and everything else that you know, prepare your minds, gather together what you know about God. Look at the three areas of your life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Consider those excuses that we're making. Consider the very concept that if Jesus came back tonight, would you be proud that he had chosen this night to come and that you're ready to go? You've been exhausting yourself as a servant of the Lord. You've put everything, you've surrendered all to follow the obedient call of what? Follow me. Maybe you haven't ever made that decision to truly follow him. Maybe you said a prayer. Maybe you had a good feeling. But there's never been that surrendering of the old self, the old man, to follow Christ and to leave that old life, put it in the grave, and to follow Christ in the new life. I encourage you guys, consider, consider. Make your calling and your election what? Know that you know that you know that you've surrendered your life to Christ Jesus. And don't let it be a thought that you say, yeah, I should do that, and then let it pass by. Either you know that you know that you know, or you may have a lot of questions. And if you have questions, uncertainty, don't just ignore it. You can come talk to me, Angela, if you have another person in the fellowship that you're comfortable with, spouse, whatever it may be. Don't let that go till you know because he just very well may come tonight. And don't live, we should not be living our lives hoping that Jesus might come further down the road. Because when he comes, I think we're all going to be a little bit shocked when he comes. 
because it'll never be the time that we think. But could we say today in the midst of those things that are necessary with work and all of that, could we honestly say that what we did today was wholeheartedly for the Lord? That it was a sacrifice of my life to follow the Lord. This is convicting to all. It should be convicting to all of us in this room. But maybe walk forward and say, hey, I surrender all of it. You guys know the song, right? Well, would you guys stand? May the Lord bless you with the rest of this week that He has provided for you. He has chosen you to live in this particular age, the age of the church or the age of the Spirit, the age of grace. And He has empowered you. He has poured out His Holy Spirit onto those who have chosen to deny themselves and to follow Him. So you may, may you understand that as you walk into wherever it is you go this week, you have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, to not only guide you in what you say and do, but also teach you who God is and the will of God for your life. May you surrender to the work that God is desiring to do in your lives. May you, may you desire and crave God to do something transforming in your life this week. Amen.